0: I think social media kind of complicates this whole thing because being vulnerable now means that you declare something to your followers or your friends or your connections. All the world is a mirror and we judge people and feel that sensitivity based on what we've struggled with. I would boil it down to managing your relationship with judgment and striving to develop a, a mindset of who am I to judge?
1: Welcome to the Unlocking Happiness Podcast. I'm Amy Dix, international best-selling author, speaker, and founder of Choose Happy. Collectively, our community builds a better world. I believe life is made up of moments. We have short moments, long moments, good moments, and bad moments. We make sure that all of your life moments are filled with meaning and joy. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the internet happiest podcast. Now let's unlock happiness. Hello, all you crazy, happy people out there. Welcome to Unlocking Happiness. This is Amy Dix with Choose Happy, and I am joined today with Greg Kushnick, who is a psychologist in New York City and prioritizes mental health in this world. And I'm so excited to have this conversation and talk to someone really not who just prioritizes it, but you practice this every single day and you're helping people with this every single day. So Greg, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. So you're based out of New York City and you have your practice there. What made you kind of get into this?
0: Two people in my life have influenced me. Uh, My father is a physical therapist, and he is very hands-on in his approach. And I used to go to work with him and see him working with people. And uh, I realized that while I wanted to help people, I wanted a different approach to making people feel better.
1: Mm -hmm. So
0: I fell in love with psychology in my uh, high school psychology class. Oh, And I also have uh, an uncle who practiced uh, psychology until he was like 90, did therapy, kind of famous for his time. And I always respected him and he would come to the family gatherings. And I just kind of wanted to be like him as well. He was always very patient and curious and just a brilliant man. And I just kind of felt like that is something I want to strive toward. Actually, there is one more influence very quickly. Uh,
1: yeah. I, I
0: worked as a, as a teenager in a camp for kids with disabilities. And um, I, I just felt like, uh, I just felt for them so much. Mm-hmm. And I saw that society wasn't really, you know, uh, 30 years ago, they weren't really accepting this population and kind of got me to root for the underdog, root for the people who were kind of suffering or underserved populations. I just felt like I identified with people who needed a little extra help and didn't have society, the benefit of, or weren't given the benefit of the doubt in society. And so I just kind of gravitated toward people who needed extra help.
1: Did you relate to them because you weren't given the benefit of the doubt growing up?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said for that. As, as the youngest child, the three boys, and definitely learned how to defend myself. So maybe that that was the case but I was somewhat privileged in many ways. But yeah, definitely growing up in a family with two older siblings who were very physical and very uh, sort of punishing. Maybe maybe I did feel like I was the one that needed me.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. I mean, we say that a lot, right? That like the best people that you can help Mm -hmm. are the people that were you prior. So interesting. So you talk about that like society not accepting Kind of like the underdog at that mm-hmm. point, or those that may need more help along the right. way. You know, society also, I think, maybe looked down upon like mental health and looked down upon if you needed help or therapy or any of that, right? 30, right. let's say 30 years ago, we'll use your timeline here. And today, as we stand, I think it's a little bit more accepting, but I well, would love
0: only to- recently, though, right? Seems- yeah.
1: So it's only in the past, on I don't know,
0: in the pandemic, it seems like society or American society has turned a corner where people are realizing that they don't have to feel shameful for wanting help. And I, I really think that it's only a very recent change. And I work with so many patients who say their family doesn't believe in mental health in uh, and, and psychologists and it's all nonsense and, and they have to really go uphill to actually get the help because they've been raised to think that you just sort of walk it off and, and deal yeah. with. It. I think the pandemic has presented a challenge uh, that has allowed for people to finally feel like, I don't care what anybody says, I need help and I'm getting that help.
1: I appreciate that perspective, and I don't know if you heard recently. Um, as the time of this recording, we are sitting in June of 2021, mm-hmm. and just recently, Naomi Osaka, who is a well-known tennis player, pulled out of the French Open, which is a really big deal. And the reason that she pulled out was she, for mental health reasons, mm-hmm. and uh, she basically is saying, you know, my mental health is more important than this tournament. And so it really created like this snowball effect with all these other athletes uh, supporting her. And one of the things that I found to be really interesting in some of the articles and stuff that I was reading is if this would have happened 10 years ago, she would have been shamed for oh, doing this.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Right. So, so what do you, besides the pandemic, like what else has changed in our world where we, now accept it? Is it because we see people make taking a stand? Is it just because we are more in tune to our feelings these days? Like what, why are we better off today than we were 10 years ago?
0: Well, I I think there are all all the recent movements that have recognized people's rights play a part in this and trying to um, make the people who are kind of privileged or in power, kind of realize that There are many other people who are suffering as a result of the status quo, and there needs to be a giant shift in the way we go about looking at our policies and our laws and and racism and, and all of the treatment of groups who have suffered for years and years. I believe this is sort of the time to recognize that everybody suffers no matter what anybody says. And there are a lot of anti-Semitic groups and racist groups and a lot of people who are really need to be checked and, and called out for for what they say and do and that there has to be this this kind of equalizing of of rights where people need to be treated equally. And I think part of this this movement has brought in making it okay to talk about your mental health as just just as something just as important as your job or or other things in your life. I also think a lot of this has to do, unfortunately, our society is organized in a way where it's a lot about what celebrities say. So when you have a a prince and a princess talking about their mental health and and celebrities coming out, athletes sharing their own struggles, this is actually in American society what dictates, uh, you know, what's acceptable to talk about.
1: Mm.
0: This is what it's about, right? Because, you know, LeBron James or someone talks about their struggle, we're now allowed to talk about it. I mean that's the unfortunate reality. But right. whatever it is, I'll take it as long as people can feel <laughs> like it's okay to get extra help, whatever that is for them and not to feel badly for, for suffering.
1: Because yes, says so you have to stay good. strong
0: and walk it off. And
1: yes, I love the way you said that, you know, we don't need to feel bad for suffering. <laughs> And I talk about this a lot on the show. I also had a very privileged childhood, loved my childhood, have really nothing bad to say about my childhood and Mm -hmm. and the way that my parents raised me. They're amazing individuals. Um, Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, uh, we did not talk so much about our feelings (laughs) you know so I don't know how that might be different if we would have there was no like real chaos or anything going on in within our family however I don't know that it it wasn't necessarily shamed but I did feel at a certain level that if I were to open up and share my feelings about something Mm-hmm. I, that would be like a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole kind of movement, if you will, right now around vulnerability and being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's two ways to look at that. You can certainly be vulnerable and speak your truth. And in some senses, are we too vulnerable? Like, are we sharing too much with the world?
0: Yeah, I I, I think social media kind of complicates this whole thing because being vulnerable now means that you declare something to your followers or your friends or your connections and this this has become what vulnerability is 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 this public posting on social media and that's a very tricky thing but i think vulnerability in terms of sharing with friends or sharing with the people with your you know inner circle This, this should be there. This, this this is a great way to see who's with you and who's not with you. Who's truly Mm -hmm. a friend and who's not. And I I think this is a, this is a wonderful thing to be able to do that. And some people won't know what to do with you. If you change course and start sharing when you've kind of been a closed person, some people really don't know how to handle that because it makes them very uncomfortable. But I think it's a good thing. I do think though, and I, I get where you were going with that. I think that sometimes even as a culture we have to overcorrect and and really be out there and and exaggerate the what needs to change and then we sort of come back a little bit toward the middle but any, any kind of movement you know from a mental health perspective usually it goes sort of to an extreme level and then it comes back a little bit and finds a, a comfortable place so it may feel now that everybody's talking about everything you know and being vulnerable to the max, I think probably will settle in some comfortable area. It just feels amplified because it, it just hasn't been this way in the past. But I think in terms of vulnerability, it's a wonderful way to be. It's a very healthy way to be. I mean, that doesn't mean you have to be sharing your problem with everyone you pass on the street. It just means that right. you need to be open <laughs> with, with the people around you, your, your inner circle, your, your first circle, your second circle, You know, the people you interact with and not feel um ashamed of of your struggles not try to hide it uh so much because our society dictates that that's weakness you know that's right it's just a healthier way to be
1: i think it's more freeing too like it feels like a lot lighter you know right so previously i was in a relationship where that was not the case. Like you shared kind of like how you feel. And I would almost be shamed in like, oh, kind of like you're an idiot. Like, I don't think he ever said that, but like, you're an idiot. Why would you feel that way? Right. So like, so it really like shut me out in sharing anything in that relationship. So what happened was I held so much anger, so much resentment, so much shame, so much, all this stuff in Because I felt like if I shared it, I would just be an idiot. (laughs) I would not be accepted, like all these things. And so I've learned now, past that relationship, that if something's on my mind, no matter how difficult the conversation might be, to share how I feel. Because it feels so much lighter in the fact that like I don't have to carry that around for so long right? Like that moment in time, this is how I look at it. Like that moment in time might be kind of difficult. Like that conversation for that half hour or 40 minutes or however long that conversation is, that might feel really heavy, but the rest of the time feels so much better. You're obviously sitting in your daughter's bedroom right yeah. now <laughs> so <laughs> we've got rainbows and unicorns on the wall right. with a purple wall I love it how old is your daughter
0: she's eight my patients tell me this is very calming for them some people prefer <laughs> for me to sit in this room uh, I mom. really like but, it yeah
1: it's got a happy vibe to it you know I'll take it is she your only child do you have other? I have
0: another I have a son who's four
1: okay so you've got I two four. children mm-hmm. and What lessons, I guess, do you want to teach them that were not taught to you?
0: Well, just just what you're saying, uh, this this notion of being uh, knowing that it's okay to share and confront and that you don't have to fear someone's anger. Your feelings are valid. We really strive to uh, have our our kids. I mean, my son is still like a little madman. I, I don't know. He's. Still, sort of in his toddlerhood, wacky, you know, uh, tantruming. But my daughter really uh, is very self-expressed. Feels extremely comfortable coming to us with problems, and that's something that that I didn't do so readily. There were sort of unspoken rules that we didn't really share, especially when it involved the parent. You know, we sort of feared the anger of our father and, and didn't didn't really want to confront him and kind of just had to deal with what we were given. Um, but we, we strive for openness.
1: What do you think is like, if you had to say, this is the one secret to happiness, what would you say oh, that is?
0: Interesting. The one secret to happiness, I would boil it down to managing your relationship with judgment and that uh, with
1: judgment, with
0: judgment and how you, how you judge other people and striving to develop a a mindset of who am I to judge and trying to get out of this black and white, right, wrong, good, bad world. Um, I I learned this from a very, very wise therapist named Peter Resnick. He he taught that, you know, 50 times a day, you should say to yourself, who who am I to judge? Um, Mm. There goes Greg judging again to try to separate yourself from the judgment, because when we judge people, we lose. Judging makes us unhappy. Being stuck within our judgments, finding problems, finding faults with people makes us miserable. And so there's no there's no winning there. Uh, so I, I think the uh, initiative to monitor your judgment, we'll never stop judging because we're sort of meaning making machines. And we're always thinking, whether we like it or not, uh, our thoughts kind of bounce into each other. But to be able to put a little bit of psychological distance between you and your judgments is incredibly healthy. So for example, the example I like to think of, which is quite common, I think, for people, you're walking down the street, you know, and in Manhattan, you see a wide variety of people and looks and you see someone and you're saying to yourself like, Oh my God, why are they wearing that? Like what, what business do they have wearing that? Or, Oh my God, that suit is too right. short on him or something. <laughs> and sure. and so the idea is to train yourself. Once you hear yourself judging to be able to say, you know, up oh, there goes Greg judging again. Who am I to judge that guy? If he, if he, I hope he feels good in that suit, I, I wish him well and um, good for him. And you send someone a little bit of love, but, the judgment will not stop. So all it takes is putting that little separation like, oh my God, there I go again. I just judged. Because in that moment, our happiness dips when, when we mm-hmm. judge. We have probably, it, the act of judging is to go up and say, I'm right and you're not right. I, my my suit fits right to the, the mark where it's supposed to fit and yours is up your arm, you know, and that makes you something negative. But in that moment, you know, we, our ego expands and then it contracts seven seconds later and we feel worse than we did before we made the judgment. So it's sort of, you know, think of how many times we judge. It really puts a lot of holes in, in, in our happiness when we do this. So it's, it's the act of learning how to, to monitor this. And we all know people who judge everyone and blame everyone. It also promotes a lack of personal responsibility, right? It makes us blame the world find faults in other people it it, it lessens our personal accountability uh, and it puts psychological distance between us and the world Mm -hmm. Uh, so in order you know we need to feel connected to people right we need to feel closer to our community and and to our loved ones and judgment does the exact opposite Um, yeah
1: i think that's really interesting that you talked about like because when we judge others we actually do it to make ourselves feel better Mm-hmm. Right. And you said, but when we judge, it makes us feel worse. So I liked what you said, because it's kind of like it might make you feel better for that split moment. Right. But then after that, you feel worse about yourself, you know, because I think like your conscience kicks in. We just talked about this topic. Interesting that you brought it up. We just talked about this topic this week in in our the happiest group on Facebook group. We have happy hour every Tuesday. And anyway, one of the things that I was talking about was how to reframe judgments. And the reality is, is that we see the world through judgments. Like we are constantly judging. So what I absolutely love, and now I want to go back to that group and, and tell them exactly what you just said. And when this gets released, we're going to link in that group, because I love what you said when you said, well, who am I to judge? Even when you gave your example, it just like felt like, yeah, who the hell am I to judge? Mm -hmm. Right? Like Mm -hmm. we are no better than the next person. So I love that little extra thing that that you added into that. Like, who am I to judge?
0: The the challenge is that some of the most charismatic people are also the most judgmental, Mm. usually in, in politics Celebrities, uh, uh, these big, uh, larger-than-life personalities, they get attention based on judgment. They say something controversial, right? That's what the news, the media writes about. That's what, I guess, sells ads. So our, our society celebrates this judgment. And so mm-hmm. it's modeled for us, whether it's a president or a, a singer or whatever it might be. You know, the judgment is something that we see, and the younger generations easily replicate that without any interference. So we naturally celebrate judgmental people. It makes us, it gets our attention when we hear about about people who do that or something very controversial that's been said. So we're kind of up against that uh, notion. And also social media amplifies it as well, right? You post something controversial and then you have your echo chamber of people who are all agreeing, 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 and then it becomes so big that you you believe it even more than you did before you posted it, <laughs> and then you get people who disagree, and then it's a disaster. But yeah. anyway, yeah, uh, it's it. There's a lot of momentum against us in in managing our judgments, so it really takes a ton of work. It really, really does, and and in marriage especially, this is very complicated because we build. We build resentment toward our partners, and the resentment makes us judge more easily. If I already hold my wife accountable for something that I thought she did, and, and, and five years ago, and I never forgave her, it's only going to take this you know tiny, tiny amount, uh, a little mess up for her to bring back all the resentment, you know, and then I, I judge with ease. So it's a matter of clearing out your resentments, knowing your pet peeves, because we tend to judge people based on the things that we struggle with right this notion that all all the world is a mirror so that you know we judge people based on what we've had experience with otherwise it wouldn't matter to us right i I wouldn't judge that guy's suit if i didn't feel uncomfortable in my suit when i first started out in my first interviews as a young man it wouldn't matter to me right i would look at something else right right it's like you yes. don't look at people losing their hair until you're losing their your <laughs>
1: hair. Just you know, no,
0: so you know all the world is a mirror, and you know we judge people and feel that sensitivity based on what we've struggled with. And mm-hmm. people need to look inward and think about what their pet peeves are, so they can kind of put up the red flag and know that they've been triggered. It's a very powerful way to uh, control your judgments to know what your own sensitivities are, rather than taking it out on the world.
1: Yeah. You talk about clearing resentment, Mm -hmm. and I think that that can be very difficult for people. What advice do you have for people if they find themselves kind of in this scenario where they still hold on to resentments um, from the past?
0: I think uh, the starting point is to uh, acknowledge for you to acknowledge where you're at in, in the present moment with your resentments and the price you pay for the resentment, what it's doing to your life to hold on to that resentment and to kind of recognize the way in which it's ruining your life. I mean, there's different kinds of resentment. If you're a victim, if you've been mistreated and victimized, it's sort of one approach. If it's someone, something where you actually have accountability and it's something you you were a part of, it's another approach, but essentially, The idea is, especially in a relationship, let's say you know in in a marriage, for example, you want to be able to, you know, not only look at the 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 price you pay for judgment because it basically rots your insides, Mm -hmm. you know, when you judge, it's Mm -hmm. it's creating acetylcholine and things, uh, chemicals that basically rot your organs. I think you know, shortens your life to judge. It's about looking inward and trying to take responsibility for your part, even if. Let's say you have a wildly narcissistic husband who's just destroying the family. You want to look at uh, where you can own your, your part. And because that, not like it's your fault, there's a difference between you know, accountability and ownership and, and fault. It's looking at maybe where you uh, didn't know how to deal with someone, you didn't realize that you're dealing with a raging narcissist you know, you didn't have that knowledge before. And, and you understand the family suffered as a result. But now you're owning it. Now you get it. And you're taking charge because you realize what you're dealing with. So it's it's really trying to look inward and see. And, and also in communication, when you're talking to someone who you resent, it's always good to disarm them by sharing, you know, what you see and what, what you can own, almost like modeling personal responsibility. That works with certain people. Once you get into the the, the narcissist, this becomes very tricky and it's not very effective. But with people who are sort of um, uh, have room for change and are really motivated to make a better relationship, uh, it's very good to model personal accountability and speak from your own experience as a way to kind of challenge your partner to, to do the same or whoever it is, you know, who you're holding the resentment toward.
1: Great advice. How would you define happiness?
0: It boils down to maybe pleasure plus meaning. There's all kinds of theories around what happiness is. But I I actually, um, I think a more productive way to say this is that I often don't really think that much about happiness anymore. When I first started out as a psychologist, I was so focused on happiness and how to help people be happy. I actually think it doesn't really exist that we're better off striving for contentment. And that contentment is a more applicable concept because, I mean, I I know people who can be happy, people who have happy moments, but I feel like a lot of the happiness movement has put a lot of pressure on people and even indirectly shame people into thinking like, you know, you're not living your life right. You know, you're not doing this and this and that. And you should be, it's a lot of shoulds, right? You should be doing this. And I I believe that almost creates an opposing force that keeps people stuck where they're at. So I like to think of it as uh, maybe like an on-off cycle, something that people enter and then exit. And the notion of happiness, again, I, I like to downgrade it a little bit to contentment, that we're striving for feeling good. And, you know, sometimes we feel great, but I'm not really sure who wakes up every day and feels great. And it seems to me like sometimes happiness can really put the notion of happiness is a very American concept, you know, that we should strive to be happy. And I've yet to meet a happy person in my life. You know, I I just don't think it's a, it's something that truly exists. What do you think? Because, you know, you talk about this just as much as I do with you know on the podcast how do you, how do you look
1: yeah well i think that's interesting when you said uh i have yet to meet somebody who's happy uh cuz it, it like initially i wanted to say well here i am <laughs> oh,
0: please that's exciting <laughs> talk to me I guess i'm
1: your first person oh my god initially like that's where in my mind where i went with it now there is a thing and you might know about this too as a psychologist <laughs> but there is a thing in positive psychology called uh creating the habit of good enough Right. So where we have all these habits during the day and kind mm-hmm. of like what you're saying, like when we continue to strive mm-hmm. for something that might not be attainable at some point, we have to say, like, this is good enough and I'm OK right. with that. Right. Yep. And so that might be a little bit of, of, of what you're saying. Um, but do I think happiness is achievable? Absolutely. I think happiness is achievable. Sure. But for um, states,
0: right, for certain periods of time, and then we kind of cycle out of it.
1: So, right. So if you hear, um, go back and for all of our listeners, when they hear the intro to this podcast, it says, I believe life is made up of moments. We have short moments, long moments, good moments and bad moments. Right. And then I say, you know, I just want to make sure that all of your life moments are filled with joy and meaning. And so I think, you know, when we kind of go for that then when we look at it, when we look at life instead of life is one big block. But if mm-hmm. we look at it as all individual moments, then right. I think we approach happiness. I think we approach mental health. I think we approach all those things a little differently when we look mm-hmm. at it mm-hmm. as moments. So I
0: hear you. I think that's that's very helpful. And, and that's good because it punctures this notion that that it is possible to just feel happy, you know, and, and nothing else. Uh, I, I believe that message puts a lot of pressure on on people, and it creates a lot of problems. Right when you're telling someone uh, just to be happy, or you know these things, this, these are going to make you happy. It kind of creates this feeling like everything's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Seligman, I think, went into this as well. This idea that you know our society is built around identifying, oh, that's a problem. Oh, no, that's a problem. You know, this notion is mm-hmm. in, in our society, everything's a problem. And I think that's also be, because we strive for this ideal state of being, idealized state of being. Um, but to take a more realistic approach and be more accepting of the moment is, is very, very important. And to be good enough, which, you know, hopefully we learn that that's generally in our Modern society, I think, is usually around our 20s that people start to learn to feel good enough. You know, you kind of stumble through your 20s being very insecure and feeling like everybody knows things more than you do. And then eventually, the hope is that you leave your 20s feeling good enough in certain areas, having uh, certain strengths that you can appreciate. Either happiness, I, I would also go into a spiel about expectations.
1: Um, 100% and managing expectations, I think is so important, not just for yourself, but you know, Mm -hmm. for your relationships too, where everyone understands what the expectations are, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that there's a difference between expectations and boundaries, you know, so um, that's probably a whole nother conversation. But before we get into the last question, I just want to point out a couple of things we can find you at manhattanpsychologist.com.
0: I did a lot of writing to be able to share with um, a larger audience. So I, I have a website Tech Healthiest, um, Techealthiest.com, where it just gives some ideas on how to uh, strive for happiness. Or contentment, <laughs> yeah, with your yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to contradict myself, but uh.
1: <laughs> there's a lot of really good stuff on here. Our search engines stealing your instincts, um, how to achieve mental freedom in one move. So there's a lot of really great uh, articles on Tech mm-hmm. Healthiest. So uh, check that out. You can also find you on Manhattanpsychologist.com and on there as well, you have been in the media quite a bit. So there's also a link on there to some other outside articles that you've written. Craig, it was so good having you on the show today. I have one final question that I ask all the guests. If you only had seven more days left to live, what would you do?
0: Take uh, my family to somewhere near the ocean where there's an ocean and, and a pool and and decent food and just sit around and talk and and hug and <laughs> swim and, you know, look out at the horizon and just uh, share together and share the time together.
1: Awesome. Now, the second part of this question is if you only had seven more days left to live, but you were in a debilitated state, so you couldn't travel, couldn't go to the <laughs> ocean or swim. And all we had left was your voice. What is the last bit of advice that you would want to give the world?
0: To give the world or to give my children? (laughs) Well,
1: to give the world.
0: Yeah. last bit of advice to give the world, I would say that nothing really matters at all. Everything is basically meaningless. It all comes down to the meaning that you attribute to things. So it's all self-created. You get to decide what people... Uh, what things mean. Don't let society dictate what things mean to you, what success is, what love is, what what attractive is. You decide and you be yourself and come up with your own definitions so that you're not controlled by uh, the masses in this way. That's what I would say. Is you decide what things mean and arrive at your own conclusions.
1: Love it. And who am I to judge, right? Who
0: am I to judge?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's a little takeaway here from today's show. Greg, thank you so much for being on Unlocking Happiness.
0: Thank you for having me. Uh, This is nice.
1: Amy Dix here. Thank you so much for listening to Unlocking Happiness. I hope you loved the show. And if you did, post a link to your social media, tag a friend, and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. Help spread more happiness in the world by leaving us a review. If you would like to learn more about what we do, visit choose-happy.me. And if you wanna be a future guest, click on the podcast tab to learn more. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag, Unlocking Happiness with Amy Dix. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and hit subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean the world to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, choose happy.me, or join our Facebook group called The Happiest Group on Facebook. Thanks for listening. This is Amy Dix, and we will see you next time.